refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. morning, everyone. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, um, fear this morning, and I'll, I'll get to back to why we're going to do that here in just a little bit. But uh, it's, it's good to be here. I know my family and I uh, took a trip up to, Ital- or to Italy. We were supposed to be in Italy this summer, and that didn't happen. But we uh, took a trip up to Libby, where I'm from, and uh, I taught there on, on Wednesday evening and, and spent some time with uh, some family and, and church members up there. And like I've shared here before, it's one of the toughest places for me to teach because there's people there that have changed my diapers. And so it's just kind of a, I have to, you know, what did I teach these people? You know, they, they, they can teach me a whole lot and they still are teaching me a whole lot. And it's just neat to see there's a, a bunch of new faces there, people that I didn't know, people that have become Christians over the last few years and, and, um, and good, good fruit that is, that is happening out there in the boonies. And, uh, it was, uh, neat to be up there. And so uh, there is a, I know that when, uh, during the summertime, we, we bounce around a little bit. And I just encourage you, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, make plans to meet with God's people wherever you're at. There's just some, some rich times, and I know that we have guests here that are traveling from out of, out of town. We're glad to have you here. Uh, you always got a, a spiritual family here with us. And when you meet up with somebody somewhere else, there's all sorts of ways that you can be a blessing to them. And, uh, and I just encourage you to do that. It's, it's wonderful. Now, we'll go ahead and uh, get into talking about fearless here. And um, uh, I guess part of th- it's a good thing for us to talk about. I've been waiting to talk about this for a while because uh, with this quarantine that we've been in, uh, we went through that, that first phase of... of uh, going through complete lockdown to phase one into phase two. And uh, for whatever reason, whatever it may be, uh, there's, uh, there's cases that are spiking in Montana right now. And there's all sorts of different reasons for way that, where that may be or why that may be and, and et cetera. But if you remember, I mentioned probably about a month and a half ago that the first quarantine will probably be easier than whatever we have to walk through next. Because now that we're meeting together and all of that, uh, that's, if, if, we, uh, uh, if the, the state or the county comes down and says, all right, we need to back this up a little bit to manage the caseload, then that's going to be tougher on us. And so I know that Gallatin County is meeting this week to figure out whether they want to um, ask everybody to, to wear masks mandatory in, in public uh, settings. We don't know what that looks like, but what I encourage you as a church, we've walked together in this way, unified so far, and let's just continue to do that. And and I, that's what's going to be important. That's what's going to honor God. And I'm not sure, and I have no clue what that looks like if, if I'm asked to preach in a mask. <laughs> I'm just thinking all sorts of funny things, you know. And I, someone mentioned that we could put up a a spit guard or something like that. And I thought, I'm not sure I want to look at that spit guard after I get done preaching in front of Anyway, all of that, let's just try to, to keep our spirits light, keep seeing humor and stuff, and realize that God is already in the future. And whatever happens, we can walk through it together, and uh, the future is better than the past. Amen? As Christians, the future is always better than the past, and I'm excited for that. 
So I found this picture that I, I really enjoyed. And if you look at it, there's a squirrel there. I think it's a squirrel. Uh, I can't see its tail, and that's how I identify whether it's a squirrel or not by the tail. But what is that in the background? Eagle, hawk, bird of prey. And so think about what's going on here in this picture is this squirrel is standing out there and there's this great bird of prey that is right there behind it. And there must be uh, uh, some fearlessness or at least some managed fear with that squirrel, right? Because that's something in his world, that's something that's really scary because those things can swoop down out of the sky at any moment and eat you. And there he is standing there looking around in some way managing the fear that he's got. There's a lot of things in our world that we can be afraid of, isn't there? And we'll start close to home and then, and then get bigger. But I, I looked up a list of things that are, are phobias that, that people are afraid of. And what I thought about doing, and I didn't think about it very long, but some of the, the, the big ones that we're afraid of, like spiders and snakes, I thought about putting big color, vibrant pictures up here of those things and asking who is afraid of those things. And I thought, uh, I don't think, and just watching people squirm, I thought, no, that's probably not a, not a good idea. I don't think I'm going to do that. Because I know, and I'll share one of my phobias here as we go along, um, that it, it just gives me the creeps when I see it, okay? And so let's talk about some phobias, things that we're afraid of. How many of you are afraid of the dark? Raise your hand. Okay. And you can be honest here, we're family, this is, it's okay. How about bugs? How many of you see bugs and there's fear that comes up? Yeah, okay, lots of hands going up. How about spiders? Yeah, <laughs> there we go. That's right. How about snakes? Oh yeah, there's, there's a lot. See, that's my thing. Um, I, uh, I see a snake. My eyes just, you know, I, there is a, I don't scream much unless it's right there underneath me, but I, I try to get away. I don't think, oh, cute, pick it up. That's not at all where my mind goes. I take a few steps back, I do the snake dance, and I just get away from it. Uh, how about crickets? Anybody? Okay. So, that's my, my wife does snakes and spiders and bugs do not bother her, not a bit. She'll pick them up, but she hates crickets for whatever reason. There it is. Grasshoppers. Um, how about heights? You afraid of heights? Oh yeah, afraid of heights. How about in? Wait, you're a pilot, and you're afraid of heights. <laughs> okay, now tell me how that works later. <laughs> you wish you knew. All right, that, that works. Okay, how about enclosed spaces? <clears throat> Claustrophobia. Yeah, you feel it there. Oh man, there's. There's a lot of things that we could go down the list of things that we can be afraid of. But fear is one of those things that creates a lot of conflict in life. It can uh, create all sorts of, of issues with relationships when there's fear that... I know, for example, just let me give you an example. Now, if someone has been in situations and relationships where they've, they've been abandoned before... What the tendency is when they get into another relationship, they're just waiting to be abandoned around the corner, afraid of that at every moment, and, and realizing, oh, no, 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 it's going to happen. Wait, it's going to happen now. No, it's not going to happen, and, and that sort of thing, and, and can live that way. And it can be hard on, on uh, friendships and relationships. And, and so there's a lot of things that fear 
creates or, or that we have fear of in this world. I looked about, I looked up the greatest uh, devastations historically. And I spent some time with some lists. And, ooh, there's some nasty lists out there. And I looked up these different lists and, and uh, what are some things that we can be afraid of. Wars was one of them. And World War II topped the list of somewhere, and nobody knows for sure, and it depends on how you count, but somewhere around 80 million people lost their lives during World War II. A huge, huge uh, numbers of people. There's uh, our country here. We've had civil war before, um, and hopefully we never go there again. But there's been genocides uh, based on, on race or community that have happened throughout history where thousands and millions, in some cases, of people have been executed. There's been economic crashes, and if we, we've lived through many of those in this country, but nothing like a situation where all of a sudden there's no food and there's 100% unemployment. I know that when I was in Albania, the city that we were in, there was somewhere north of 70% unemployment in that city. And people were just walking around. We've never had that in this country, not like that. But you know what claimed more lives than anything else that was really amazing to me, especially considering our, our current situation, is, is pandemics that happen from disease. And I looked up, and, and some of them, like when smallpox was, uh, was ravaging the world, when smallpox hit Japan, 30% of the population passed away. When it hit Mexico, 40% of the population living in Mexico at that point in time was gone. When the bubonic plague hit Europe, how many of you have heard of that? The bubonic plague, yeah, carried by rats, all that kind of stuff. Ring around the rosy, pockets full of posies. That's a song from that time period. The bubonic plague eliminated within a short period of time 40 to 50% of the population of Europe. So think about that. What would that. How would that be like to live through something like that where you have half of the people in your community are just gone within a matter of a few years? Boy, that's something to be scared of, isn't it? <laughs> There's a lot of things that we can be afraid of. I hope that uh, you have a nice day. I'm going to sit down and, and uh, you guys just uh, go on about your way, right? When I look in the Scriptures... I see those same types of things. I see wars that happen in the scriptures. I see genocides. I see economic crashes. I see pandemics that happen from disease that happen all throughout scripture. But what's amazing to me, when you look at scripture, you see someone like David who says things like this that we'll get to here in a second. But first, I forgot to do this. Read this definition of fear. A distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc. Whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or condition of being afraid. That's the idea. Is that we develop this fear that is, that is in us. And with all the bad stuff that's out there, look at what David has to say here. He says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now wait a minute, this is from the 23rd Psalm. One that's popular, a psalm that we love, one that is, is shared in public gatherings, even outside of, of New Testament Christians, a lot. A lot of times just in, uh, in public functions. And David has to say, as one who has seen war, who has seen economic crashes, who has seen genocides, who has seen pandemics, and has lived through all of those things, says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
In another psalm here, he says, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And I think, man, how did David, wait, how did David pull this off? If he is living in a time like us where there's lots of fear, how on earth was he able to say something like this? How could he do it? Let's look at, um, at how do we handle fear from a biblical perspective. Okay, so let's start by talking about uh, fear from a psychological or biological perspective, and then we're gonna. There's a lot of overlap, and then we're gonna come into to what Scripture tells us and uh, and helps us understand. There is, uh, and you can go online and you can look up what is fear or fear. How does fear affect me physically? And you will see article after article after article that talk about what fear does to us, and fear. Basically what happens is our prefrontal cortex, the big part of our brain in the front, some counselors will call it, as I've shared, the holy tissue, because that's something that sets us apart biologically from the rest of the animal kingdom is is the ability to think and reason that's up here. And in the back of our brain, right above the brain stem, there is something called biology geniuses. You know what it's called? The amygdala is in the back. Prefrontal cortex in the front, amygdala is in the back. Lizards have a huge amygdala because what they do is they just react. Lizards don't sit there and think. They just react. Okay. And so for us as people who are thinking, we use that prefrontal cortex a lot. Um, and so what, what happens when fear comes in is, is our bodies are designed by God to start using that amygdala there in the back. And the response is that we freeze, we fight, we flight, or we live in fright. And I'll get back to these and explain them here in just a minute. But we tend to uh, play with fear. Um, that's what roller coasters are all about. Now, we'll get to, to some of these phobias and stuff that we talked about here in just a minute. But how many of you enjoy roller coasters? Have you ever thought about why you enjoy roller coasters? Adrenaline? Yeah, adrenaline. Enjoy the rush. And what that is, is that we are triggering our fear mechanism and terrifying ourselves in a context that is controlled and enjoying it. Now, I'm fine with roller coasters just as long as they don't spin. I do not do spin. Biologically, my body does not do spinning, okay? It's just bad. But think about that. Have you ever thought about that? Is, is that sometimes we induce fear in order to get that adrenaline rush because when it's in a controlled situation, we really enjoy it. Now, I enjoyed a lot as a kid jumping out and scaring my sister on a regular basis. I just loved it. You know, it, was, it was great. I got, I got a huge kick out of it because I loved to see that adrenaline rush in her. Okay? But more seriously, when something terrifies us, whether real or imagined, our first reaction is to freeze, and that sometimes happens very quick, and it doesn't last long. And then we go into fight-or-flight mode. Either we're going to fight back or we're going to run. And those are survival mechanisms that God has given us. But here's what happens sometimes, is that when we find ourselves in a situation where we have long-lasting fear that just lives below the surface, we start to live in a in a condition of fright, which means that we are just always looking around our back 
looking around the corner a little bit because we never know when the next scary thing may happen. Again, like I shared, that can be in relationships. It can be driving. If we get in an accident and it's really scary for us, then we live in a state of fright for the next while. Um, That can become something that is dysfunctional and hurtful when it becomes chronic and leads to phobias and physical and mental health issues going forward. And it can be really destructive for us. Okay, there is, um, if what I just explained as far as fright goes, if you can identify with that on some level, raise your hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can identify with it. I know it. And, and so that's the, the gist of what we're going to, um, going to, uh, to hit on here is that how do we deal with situations that, that are long-lasting, that just tend to gnaw at us, and how do we make sure that those don't become something dysfunctional that leads us into spiritually dysfunctional places? Okay, so let's, let's look at this from a spiritual perspective. And this division of, of fear is something I found online that was really helpful, and I can give you the information if you would like. But I'm a firm believer there's nothing new under the sun and there's other people who have tremendous things to share. And so I'm, I'm sharing some of this here. This is divided up into three areas of fear that we see in Scripture. There's reverential fear, which is, is not very helpful because it's a, it's a big word. But the idea is the fear of God. We spent some time last year talking about the fear of God, how that's really healthy. And honoring and respecting God is something that is that God asks of us and tells us that if we do that, then life's going to go really uh, much better for us and uh, we're going to... Uh, uh, we're not going to make a lot of mistakes that we would otherwise if we have a healthy respect and, and godly fear of, of the divine. And then there's constitutional fear. This is what we've just been talking about. It's what we're made with and designed with that is biological fear, and that can be good and bad. It's good if it protects us and calls us higher. It's bad if it leads us down a road to, to fright and just living in that context, in that situation. And then we have something different called carnal fear. And this is fear from or for sinful reasons. Uh, you see several examples of this in Scripture. You think about Adam. When Adam and Eve sinned, what was Adam's response? His response was not to say, God, I have sinned, and go and find God and seek him out. What was Adam's response? He says, I was afraid, so I hid. That's a sinful fear. Running from God in a situation like that is not helpful. Adam should have turned right around and said, God, God, here we are. We have sinned. We have done wrong. But instead he ran and hid. And that never works, obviously. But that's an example of this carnal fear. Now, another example of it, a great one in Scripture, is when God has brought the Israelites out of... brought them up to the borders of Canaan. The twelve spies go in to the land and they see it. How wonderful it is. How amazing it is. And Joshua and Caleb say... We can do this. The God who ravaged Egypt with his great works and who parted the Red Sea and fed us in the desert can surely bring us into the land of Canaan. And all the people said, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do this, right? No, what happened? The rest of the people, the other ten spies say, those people over there are huge. They're big. We can't do this. We're terrified. And all the people sat on the ground and had a pity party out of fear for the next while. Was that fear holy and godly? Absolutely not. It was a fear that comes from lack of faith. 
You see the same phrase, the same type of concept being used in, in Acts 24 when Paul is in prison and he's preaching to Felix and telling Felix about the message of God. And Felix says, okay, that's enough for now. You can uh, go away and I will call for you another time when it's more convenient. What Felix is doing is instead of showing a fear of God that runs towards God, he's hearing what Paul has to say and then pushing him away. He's demonstrating this same sort of dysfunctional, unholy fear. Okay, So think about this. Hebrews, and maybe this will help us understand something that Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15 says here. It says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Think about that. Part of what Jesus came to do is to take away the thing that most of us in this world, speaking in general terms, what most of us fear most is death. And here comes Jesus, and he comes along. And as the Hebrew writer tells us, he came to give us freedom so that we do not have to fear death anymore. Man, this is good news, isn't it? You know, this is amazing news. This is what the world has been looking for. And the Hebrew writer is saying, God brought this through Jesus, and he's brought this power or this ability to be able to not fear the thing that most of us fear most and to be able to be courageous and walk forward. And you look at how many people in Scripture have, been, have demonstrated they look like they're fearless anyway. David must have had this type of, of, of understanding of, uh, of fear and how to, how to navigate it. Because can you imagine what it would be like as a shepherd boy to go face to face with a hardened soldier that is nine feet tall, that has killed who knows how many people, and David walks out there without armor and just a sling and says, my God will fight for me today. And I look at that and I think, man, what on earth is going on there? How on earth did this young guy get to a position that he could not fear death? How is it possible that Christians in the early church, after they became, became followers of Jesus, that authorities sometimes would come and say, all right, we're going to take your property away. We're going to seize it. And because you're a Christian and you're a detriment to society, so we're just going to come in and we're going to bully, we're going to take by force, and we're going to take away what you have. You're gone. You're done. And the Christian's response was, well, you know, it's their ancestral land. They've been on it for generations. I say, well, you know, I can't take it with me. Let me get my stuff and I'll get out of here. Helps us understand why in Acts many Christians sold their property in order to probably some of them weren't going to be able to keep it anyway. But more importantly, what they understood was I'm living for eternity. I have no fear of my property being taken. I have no fear of death anymore. I have no fear of all these things that other people fear. And I'm going to demonstrate it as I walk courageously forward. How do they do that? How, how do people see? How can they do that? How is it possible to get to that point? Because if someone walked in right now and said, "Chris, because you're a Christian, I'm going to take your house away. You have a day to get out." There's part of me that would 
and had the authority to do so, there's part of me who would really wrestle with that and say, I'm, I'm current on my payments. I put a lot of money down to be able to have this house. I'm going to lose all of that. And there's part of me that would just want to grit my teeth and fight. But I have to wonder and wrestle through this is if something like this happened to me, would I have the courage to say, well, I can't take it with me anyway. My God will provide and I will walk out now. Because Christians have done that over time. And so here is a, here's a couple things that I've found that are be, to be very helpful for overcoming carnal fear. Because we never become fearless where there is no fear whatsoever. We just learn to manage it. And one of the ways is experiencing the power of God's love. Now, I'll read this and I'm going to share some things here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. John has learned something here. By experience and by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he shared it with us. And this is something I understand that not all Christians understand. And so as I share this, I'm going to share this from a position of of still growing and being in process. But understand that there was a part, there was a time in my life where if I shared what I'm going to share with you right now, it would have gone right over my head and I would not have understood at all. I just wouldn't have gotten it because I needed to walk through different things in life to be to the point where I am now that I can share what I'm going to share. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Because what happens is that when we're not aware of the extent of the love of God, then we tend to just live in fear right and left. I'm going to share a story, and I think I've shared parts of it with some people, and I don't think I've ever shared this on Sunday morning here. But uh, there was a... I remember when I, I left home, and, and I was ready to launch. I had just turned 18 shortly before... I was headed to York College, and I was excited about the future. And I remember landing and driving Ryan Schrader, and I actually drove together down to York. We were roommates, and we got there, and I hit the ground just absolutely ecstatic for uh, the next uh, uh, the next years of life. I know that um, you know it's not that I didn't I didn't have a bad relationship with my parents. I was just the age and place in life that I was ready to launch, and it was time, and I was I was going. And I got there to York, and I I spent the uh, the next four years there at York. And I remember there was a prayer that I prayed. God, send me someone to marry, if that be your will, but not yet. That was my prayer. And I, I realize more now, but I, I understood enough about myself at that point in time that um, there was a... And let me say this first. There was... How many of you have gone to Christian college? Okay. The phrase is, ring by spring or your money back. Now, that's a joke. It's not real. But what I found when I was there is this... And it got worse as I got along in school. This tremendous pressure that if you do not have 
a steady girlfriend by the time you graduate, then you're going to wander the earth in utter solitude for all eternity. <laughs> Nobody said it that way. But that was the gist of it. That's how it was. And, and I had, I mean, my senior year, I had people coming right and left saying, Chris, what are you going to do, man? What are you going to do? And people trying to set me up. And I know that one thing when I was that age is that if anybody tried to set me up, that was, that was surefire excuse for me to run the other way. I mean, I was having none, nothing to do with that. And what was, what's interesting for me to look at back in right now is that I, some people get married at 18 and 19 and, and, and young and do great. And that's awesome. I would not have been one of those. Right, Sylvia? I was almost 26 when we got married, and that was tough enough on her, poor girl. Okay? Because I had my own fears. I had my own selfishness. I um, liked to ski and hunt, and, and you know, there's some things that were had a priority in my life at that point in time that was that didn't allow for someone else to, to come into my life. Um, and I remember very clearly being in Italy, and let me say this as well, during my time at York, I was an athlete all the way through, um, and uh, I was involved in student government, I was a student body president at one point in time, and I always had this and that and stuff moving continually. And, and I didn't, honestly, in college, stop down, slow down enough to think very often. I just, one thing to the next, one thing to the next. And if uh, I got down to where it was, uh, it was time to, uh, I had a little bit of downtime. I was in my buddy's rooms, and we uh, went and would run around town, you know, whatever else. Anyway, that's just kind of how I rolled. But I remember very distinctly, Something happened when I went to Italy. I went with a bunch of people, and, and we were uh, um, trying to share the message of Jesus during the time there. But I remember very clearly one particular situation. I'm going to share something here that's, that's pretty vulnerable for me, but I don't know how to express this in any other way, okay? I remember my roommate went home for... Uh, back to the United States for uh, for about a month for Christmas. I went hiking with one of my buddies, and um, he got sick uh, before we got to where we were going to hike and threw up on the train, but that's another story. Okay. Anyway, I ended up going by myself, and I spent several days all alone by myself, crossing the Amalfi Coast from one side to the other, just me and my tent. And most of the time I didn't use it. I just kind of slept under places that slept under on the beach once. And, and it was kind of amazing. But I got back to Rome, and I had several weeks there where I had the Italian church and, and that, but it was Christmas, um, people with, with their families, and, and people invited me over and all of that. But I felt this deep, deep loneliness that was there that I couldn't shake. And I remember laying on my bed, and my prayer changed. And my prayer changed and said, God, I feel like I am all alone. Would you please answer this prayer? I don't know what that looks like. I just pray for you to take away this loneliness. And I remember just sitting there and weeping and praying. Because I had slowed down enough to see it. 
in myself. And I remember it wasn't long after that that I noticed in a different way one of my friends that I was hanging out with a lot, this Italian girl named Sylvia. And believe me, it wasn't out of desperation. That wasn't the case. I was just finding, trying to find a solution for some emptiness that was there, that I was I, I just filled with running from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And understand what I saw and what I experienced is the love of God saying, I will provide. Now, Sylvia and I have been married 18 years. I've been thankful for that. God could have answered that prayer many, many different ways. He could have answered with other friends coming into my life at that point in time. He could have answered by just taking that loneliness away. You know, whatever. The church community, all sorts of different ways. And so what I'm sharing is, is there's lots of ways that God answers those prayers. But I remember that some of the, the answered prayers that God has answered more visibly than any other time in my life is that when I've gotten to the point where I say, God, what I can do is no more. I must rely on you. Please hear me. And in those situations where I have experienced that and I have gone to God and prayed and prayed earnestly and diligently with tears, what happens is I have experienced this loving God that is up there in heaven, that is all around us. Let's not confine him to heaven, okay? He's all around us. That says, I'm here and I've got this and I'm going to answer. And somehow, some way, there come the answers. So experiencing the power of God's love is important. And I know that some of us grow up in the church, some of us have been Christians a long time, and somehow, I think maybe because we haven't had situations that just absolutely flatten us spiritually, or, or, or we just haven't, for whatever reasons, we still don't understand that. I've been around people that are in their 50s and 60s that have been Christians for a long time and realize at some point in time, because they come face to face with a situation, that they can't handle themselves. And they have to fall in the grace of God and see the grace of God and his love answer. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. So if, if what I'm saying right here, you think, huh, I wonder what that's all about. I just encourage you to pray and to, uh, to seek God and, and God, uh, God will provide those answers in his way and his time. That's my experience. That's what I promise I see in scripture. But what that does is it helps us overcome fear. Because we know that there is this God that is there beside us, walking beside us. And whatever obstacle, hurdle, whatever it is, we find out, as we've talked about a lot, we find out who we really are when, um, when we get into those, uh, when we have obstacles. And when we're honest about it, there's a, there's a loving God that is there to, to walk us through whatever is next. Here's something else that I found that is helpful Seeking God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we live that way, fear goes down. Seek God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and fear goes down. That's the way it works. Look at a couple of other psalms here. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. (laughs) Boy, that's pretty clear, isn't it? This is from David again, saying, Boy, I was fearful, 
But I sought the Lord, he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. And wow, how amazing it is to be delivered from these fears that have, that have held me captive and, and, uh, for so long. Here's another psalm. It says, and this is read part of it by Landon here a minute ago. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. <laughs> Think about that. Even if everything around me is falling apart, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I will not fear because God is there that walks alongside me. Now, none of this is rocket science. It's not hard to understand here. It's hard to get here in our heart. As I was looking through pictures, I thought about, and this is just from from my perspective, and maybe you guys are way ahead of me in this, and hopefully you are, but oftentimes I have looked at someone who is courageous and fearless as, as something like this. Okay, if you look close, that's a lady there. She's got a braided hair, and she's about to take on this tiger, and she's staring that tiger down with a knife, and, and you know how this is going to end. She's going to slit that tiger's throat, and it's going to die, and, and she's just courageous. You know, this is a David Goliath situation here, isn't it? This is amazing. Look at that fearlessness that she is, is going uh, forward with. What I've found is that this type of fearlessness has limits. Because we can be courageous in some way and go forward, but then a spider runs across in front of us and this lady starts screaming and running away. You know, That's kind of how we work as people, is that we can be courageous in some area but not in others. If this is how we see courage is just something that I muscle through, that I overcome. But what if we do this? And I share some of this because in our current situation, when I look in Facebook, I see fear, 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 fear all over the place. And not only from the perspective of, oh no, I'm going to die because I get this virus, but from the perspective of, oh no, if I may lose my rights or I may lose, you know, I think there's fear coming from all sorts of different places. And so as Christians, maybe this is a better way to look at being fearless. See what's happening here? See here you have this elephant. Elephant has, as I understand, no known predators on earth except mankind with a 375 H&H or something like that. But here you have this baby elephant. Baby elephants can have predators because they're not full-grown to what they're going to be. And in this picture, what you see is maybe this is more accurate depiction of David walking out and facing Goliath. David never saw himself as walking out and facing Goliath or facing these, these epidemics or facing uh, war or facing economic crisis or whatever David had to face. He didn't see it as him going out courageously with this sling to, to slay this great soldier. What he saw it at as is simply a great, great God that was, on his sh- was behind his shoulder every point just pushing him along to do the next right thing. I think that's what I see in the Psalms. I think that's what I see from all of these Psalms that we read is David saying, because God is with me, I shall not fear. Because David, do you think he understood the love of God? Someone who forgave his shortcomings and continued to work with him. 
Oh yeah, David knew the love of God. He understood the love of God. Did David give his, by and large, with some exceptions, did he seek the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength? Yeah, he did that. You see him do that throughout his life. And because he understood and he lived out those things, it's not just understanding here, but lived them out here, what happened is God was able to make David into someone who didn't live by fear, but lived by faith. And I think during this time and any time, that is what God asks of us. My prayer as we go forward for all of us, whatever the future looks like, whatever it's going to look like next week, what I know, as we've talked about before, is God is there already. God continues to be there in the future. And so we don't have to live by fear. And we can courageously walk forward. And I don't know what's happening in your life personally. And uh, maybe uh, some of the scriptures or some things I shared from uh, reflections this week touched your heart. And I pray that if uh, you haven't become a Christian, you decide to today. Elders are waiting in the back. You're welcome to go back there and talk with them. But if you're a Christian and you think, boy, I do live with a lot of fear and I, I let that consume me, then uh, my prayer is that you don't allow yourself to stay there. I know that um, Chelsea, the secretary, was in the office earlier this week. She told me about a book called God's Psychology, I think is what it was called, but about someone who had, and I'll, I'll get the details wrong probably, but what they did is they were living in anxiety, living in fear, big wig, big shot, and was given the counsel to read Psalm 23 five times a day. Not just read it, but sit and think. And within a few weeks, they were a different person. And I believe that Scripture does that to us. God does that to us. Because he's able to take that fear away and transform us into someone that is totally different. And that's my prayer for you. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head back and the elders are back there. And they will uh, gladly walk beside you with whatever you may be having on your heart and soul right now. Let's stand. And uh, actually, we're going to go straight into the Lord's Supper. And uh, there's some point we're going to stand and sing together, but we're not quite there yet, I guess. Go ahead and uh, if we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together, come on forward and we'll do that now.